My name is Erica Daly, and along with my co-host, Dr. Raff, we are going to expand your mind when it comes to the pursuit of wealth and freedom. On this podcast, we're going to share stories, ideas, and examples from our real life in order to help you make more money and have more freedom so that you have even more time to do what you love. Speaking of which, let's jump right into today's episode. I am so excited to be back. Raph, how does it feel? Man, it feels good. We are, uh, we'll get into it today, but a lot has changed for us in the last three weeks. We are up two houses and we added a dog to the family. So things are different, but man, it feels good to be back with you guys in this podcast so we can share some more of what we learned these past few weeks. Yeah, so today's podcast is actually going to be a deal deep dive into this most recent purchase that we made in the house that we are now living in, or I should say property. And real quick, I want to give you guys a rundown of what we're going through. So we're going to talk about what we were looking for when we first got started, who our team was, and what kind of things you want to look for for your team. We're going to talk all about the shopping process, the escrow process, because that is a crazy story. And then we're going to talk about the numbers at the very end. And then I'm going to tease you guys with a little Airbnb loophole information, which I'm going to eventually go into a whole podcast episode all about the San Diego short-term rental licenses and that whole mess. And just a quick note, I feel comfortable sharing these numbers because this is more of an investment property for us. This isn't really our personal home, even though we will be living here for about a year or so. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to get an owner-occupied loan so that we could do less money down and therefore have more money to do all of the renovations we wanted to do. So I kind of feel like sharing your personal private home numbers is a bit tacky. And the whole point of sharing this information in the first place is for investment purposes and educational purposes. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel tacky sharing that kind of stuff, but I think it is good to know that that houses, when you're investing into a property, can be all over the, the, the price spectrum. I mean, it can be low, it can be high. I bought an, I bought a house for as low as $32,000 before in Michigan. And this house, as you guys will find out, was quite a bit more than that. So when you guys are looking to buy property to invest into real estate, Realize that the numbers are all across the board, and if it makes sense, it makes sense regardless of the purchase price. All right, let's jump into what we were looking for so you guys know what was going through our head when we first got started. So number one thing we wanted 100% was to property hack, and I don't know if that's actually a term. I kind of just wrote that down because we're not house hacking per se more so property because there's multiple houses on this property. So really what we were looking for was two standalone houses and we ended up deciding that we wanted a minimum of two bedrooms, one bath, and we were looking for a freestanding garage because we wanted the ability to convert that into another unit, which also required us to have the proper zoning for that. And then we also wanted a fairly good size yard because I feel like outdoor space is so fun, especially because we were going to be using these for Airbnb. And we also wanted something that was a little bit ugly because we wanted to be able to do the renovations ourselves and also increase the property value by doing so. And I put this on here, but I wanted something that wasn't too weird. I toured some houses, you guys, that were so bizarre. It was like there was no fixing it. And so we ended up getting really lucky, I feel like, with our house because there's nothing that's that weird. Well, getting lucky is one aspect aspect of it, but I think that we got laser-like 
focused on what our goals actually were. And I think this goes for anything in life, you guys. When you want a certain outcome, make sure you clearly define what you're looking for. In a relationship, in a job experience, or in a house, the more you can refine it down and just get down to the nitty-gritty details of exactly what you want, the higher the chance of you, the higher the chance of you actually finding that property. So we got super clear on what we wanted. We wanted two properties on one piece of land, two standalone homes, not a duplex, not attached, but two standalones that were both at least two bedroom, one bath. That way we had a very desirable Airbnb property and we could live in one as well and then have an office for us to work out of as well as our main bedroom. And then like Erica said, the big thing, the big kicker was that standalone garage, uh, especially in Southern California, the ability to convert those into an ADU is is priceless. It's so valuable. And in an area like we're in right now, in Normal Heights, we'll dive into this here in a second, when you can add that square footage by by converting a garage into a livable ADU and going through the entire permit process, holy cow, can you add a ton of value to what your property is worth post-renovation. Yeah, and can you tell people what ADU stands for if they don't know or have never heard of it? Uh, I believe it's Auxiliary Dwelling Unit. Yes. Not additional, but auxiliary. I'm not sure why they call it that. I would say additional, but essentially it's taking uh, a piece of something that's less than 800 square feet and making it into an additional living space that you can then rent out or use to produce income. Yeah, I think you can actually build one from scratch as well. Um, also known as like a granny flat, whatever. Okay, and do you want to talk about our team? Because we had the most badass team that helped us get this deal done. Yeah, I mean, you guys, I can't say it enough. Your team is everything. Without our team, there's no way we would be in this property. Um, I think every real estate adventure, we'll call it that, has its own challenges. But ours had a ton of challenges. And if it wasn't for our amazing real estate agent, Seth, uh, who is so knowledgeable and, and is so clear and so good when it comes to negotiating and getting clear information across, um, we would not be in this property. And then on top of that, our lending agent, Michael, has been phenomenal. He is literally my guardian angel, love the dude to death, and we would not be here without him at all. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of that, team is so important. And something to note is that Seth actually sold my dad's home in Poway, and he set a record for the highest square price per square foot in the entire neighborhood, which is amazing. And my dad was super stoked on that. And then with Michael, the lender, he's a great friend of ours. He's so good at what he does. So if you guys are looking to buy a home, make sure that you reach out to him, see what you can get qualified for, because that leads us into the next part, which is the shopping process. Ooh, the shopping process. Yes. You love that kind of stuff. I did love that. And it was weird because I had to do a lot of it by myself because Raph was working and I had more flexibility. But once we knew how much we were able to spend, we could go out there and start writing offers. And so the crazy thing that we found when we were looking at multifamilies is that almost all of the properties we were looking at you could not see them in person until you had an offer accepted. And I think that's really because most of them had tenants in them and they didn't want just a ton of people running through the houses, especially because we were still have COVID going on. And so they would not let you see inside without an accepted offer. Yeah, quick note on the multifamily aspect, you guys. That is one of the challenges that a lot of these multifamily units and properties actually have tenants in there because they're owned by investors as well. So that's one of the challenges. The other caveat, though, is that when you are looking to buy um, as an owner occupied in a multifamily, 
you actually qualify for more than you would for a single family. That's because the additional income from the second or third unit, whatever, however many units you have in the property, actually helps offset some of the mortgage expense. So when you talk to a lender, make sure they're, they're looking into that aspect for you if you are going down the path of a multifamily property too. Yeah, I think we should actually do a whole episode on multifamily because it's such a cool way to invest. Um, so back to the shopping process, uh, there is a few super weird houses that we saw. I remember this one. We were so excited to see it because the square footage was wrong on Zillow. And we were like, there's no way that that could be the whole house. It has to be each half. Now, this one was an attached house. So we put in an offer. We got it accepted. And me and Seth went down there to look at it. And you guys, imagine a square house, but they cut it down the middle uh, how would you say that? Like diagonally. So it was like two triangles and it made for the weirdest layout. Like there was no way you could fix it. It was so bizarre. And we were like, so let down because there really isn't like a ton that fell into the category of what we're looking at. So it was back to the drawing board. I remember this other one that was actually really close to the house that we ended up buying. And the ceiling had to have been maybe six feet tall. Like it was so, so short. And the living room was probably 50 square feet. I'm not sure. These are two that I've never got to see myself, but you guys, I cannot, when you hear the agony in Erica's voice, when she calls you when you're at work saying, babe, this is not the place for us. You just know, and you agree and you understand because if these houses are laid out that oddly, there's no way that we'd want to live there. But on top of that, there's no way someone wants to stay there as an Airbnb or as a vacation rental. When you're running a vacation rental, you have the ability to produce a ton of income, but you have to provide an amazing experience. So if you don't want to stay there, chances are they don't want to stay there either. Yeah, you can't really do the funky, especially with Airbnb. Well, I think it's big too. Some multifamilies are built to be multifamilies. And some multifamilies are single families that people have tried to convert into more than one unit or more than one property, and it just doesn't work very well very often. Yeah, that's where it gets funky. Or like people are trying to fit like more bedrooms, more bathrooms, and it's just like so, so bizarre. But anyways, that's like a whole tangent I could go on with how weird some of these houses were. Now, something that's interesting to note is we actually saw the property that we ended up buying at the very beginning. And we had Seth call the seller's agent. Now, mind you, this property, it had one photo. That was it. It was the very front picture of the front house. And all you saw was a huge crack along the what we thought was the foundation. Or I guess it is the foundation. And it looked like a big like red flag. <laughs> um, but we were like, hey, let's just see and call and see what it's about. And so apparently the seller's agent told us that there was foundation problems and that the tenants were being uncooperative. So we were like, you know what? There is a, uh, what is it called? An eviction moratorium right now. So if they're not cooperating, we can't even kick them out. If they're not paying. This is like a really bad investment. So we're like, you know what? We'll just skip it and keep moving along. So we're continuing to shop and literally just, we weren't liking anything. And I remember at this point, I was like, maybe we should pray a little bit more specifically for what we want. And so that's when we really, really got clear and we were like, two bedrooms minimum, one bath minimum. We want the houses deep, like separate from each other. So two standalone houses and that detached standalone garage that we could convert in the good zoning with a nice yard. I think that's all we said. Yeah. But I mean, we prayed about it, right? But we also changed our filters on Redfin and Zillow to make sure we can go in there and only see those properties. So I think that goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. You get really clear on what you want 
you you pray about it, you make sure you have peace about it, and then you go after it. Yeah. So what's funny is like a few days later, Raph was like, man, that Spanish style house with the crack, remember it? It was super cute. I always liked it. It's still for sale. Like, why not? Let's just see about it again. So we had Seth call again. And this time there was no mention of uncooperative tenants. So we were like, okay. and I think they had just dropped the price too, right? Yep. So the, the property was originally listed at $999,000. They're entertaining offers between nine hundred and nine hundred ninety nine k. And then they had just dropped the price, uh, reduced it to listing it as 900K um, as of like a week prior, I believe. Yeah. And I think at this point it was like 80 or 90 days on the market. No, I think we were 45 days on the market and they were going to pull it off at 60 days. Okay, cool. So at this point, we're like, okay, if the tenants are cooperative, let's go ahead and put in an offer. So we decided to put in an offer uh, for $850,000. FHA loan with a 60-day escrow so that we could do a 203k renovation loan and they accepted so we were like sweet now we can go look at it I think I skipped something too before this they actually sent us some reports and some more internal pictures and we were like pleasantly surprised at how like nice the insides actually were because when you looked at the outside it didn't seem very well kept Um, and then we also saw in those reports about the foundation and that it didn't seem like it was as bad as we thought. Right. So, so let's, let's rewind for a second and then unpack what Erica said. There's a lot of information in one sentence. I want to make sure we we go through that with clarity, but essentially, how do I say this nicely? The listing agent did not do a good job. Yeah. (laughs) Um, when you list a house in San Diego or anywhere right now with the market as hot as it is, houses usually go for above asking price and they go pretty quickly. Days on market here in San Diego were less than like 29 at the time, I believe. I'm pretty sure they are probably less than 14, but I'm not positive. So I'm saying I'll just double it and say 29 and be safe. But she listed no pictures. One picture of the front house was like a Google Earth image where you saw a big horizontal crack along the front left of the house with what's called the northwest corner of the house. And then nothing else. No second house pictures, no interior pictures, no yard pictures, no garage pictures. So if we hadn't dri- drove the property a few times and even walked it and even done a prayer walk a few times, hmm. we wouldn't know what it looked like. Uh, when we finally did get the pictures, which is before we submitted the offer, the inside looks way nicer than we thought it would. Wood floors, decent walls, dated, but still in really good shape. So at that point in time, still not having actually been in the property... We submitted the offer at 850, found out that was actually their, their bare bottom number they would be willing to take. So they accepted it. So 850000 as is. And then we asked for a 60-day escrow because we were trying to do or attempting to do a 203k renovation loan. So the loan we went into it was an FHA, which is the first time home buyer, which allows us to put much less down. People are used to hearing you know 20%, maybe 10% down on your first home. You can actually do an FHA loan with as little as 3.5% down. Now, there's pros and cons to that, but the biggest pro for us was cash flow to be able to do the renovations because, as you guys will find out here in a second, we couldn't do the 203K renovation loan. What that is, is that that will actually wrap the cost of the renovation into your mortgage and it helps you cover the cost of that too. Um, but we hit a roadblock with that bad boy, so we couldn't quite do that. Yes. And something that he said, too, is how we drove by, which is a good point, because as I said before, you couldn't see these houses without having your offer accepted. 
But what we would do at least was go drive by it and make sure we liked the neighborhood. We'd get out, like peek around, not disturb the tenants, but look around and see if we could tell, you know, any more information. And then at that point, decide if we wanted to submit an offer. And by the way, you can submit an offer and that you can pull, draw it out at any time. So if you look at it and you don't like it, you just cancel the offer. So it's not like you're, you know, locked in or anything. Cause I think some people, you know, get that confused. So now that we had the offer accepted, escrow starts and this is where it gets crazy. So babe, I'm going to let you go ahead and take this away. I'll just interject some points because you're a good storyteller. Good Lord, you guys, this was the escrow from hell. And I say that because I bought a few properties before in my life. I have friends in the real estate world, uh, both the agent and our lender on this, who are both good friends of ours, were like, holy shit, this was the hardest and maybe the worst closing I've ever gone through. And if it wasn't for you guys, if we didn't love you guys so much, we probably would have said it couldn't have been done in a few different ways. So one, make sure you're close with your team, have great relationships, good relationships drive things in life. But realize this. When we opened that escrow period, we had no idea what was to come. We just knew we wanted to get through it and get this house because this house had so much potential for what we wanted to do. So once we opened escrow, we had to get a bunch of licensed contractors out to the house to give us bids in order to then get the bids submitted for the two or three K renovation loan. So that there's some steps in that process that I don't want to detail out or don't need to detail out right now, but realize it is a lot more stuff getting done. So it extends the escrow period. So we got them out here, contractors coming in, disturbing tenants, giving us bids as much as possible. And then we had to go and get an actual inspection done next. Yes. And something I'll point out because, uh, because there was tenants, you had to give them 24 hours notice. We had to schedule it with them. Then we had to schedule it with all the contractors and the front house tenant was very, uh, how do you say this? Very demanding in terms of what she wanted people to wear as far as PPE going through her property. So only a few people could go in at a time. You had to wear booties, a face mask, gloves, the whole shebang. So it wasn't very easy, but I'll let you continue. So then we had to get an inspection done, which is simple, easy. And then we got another foundation inspection done to make sure we were really dotting our I's and crossing our T's when it came to that. Uh, And then we had to have someone go out and appraise the property but with the ability to appraise it at a post-renovation value. So once they had the bids from those contractors in hand, a special appraiser from the bank goes out to then appraise the property with the renovations in mind to make sure that the renovation you want to do to the property can support, be supported by the value of the property in the neighborhood it's into. Yeah, and a note on the foundation, and I think this is something that's really important for people to know, especially if you're in a market like San Diego that is so hot, is again, we were willing to spend some money to get more information and really, you know, get creative with this. Most people saw that crack and ran the other way. And we were like, hey, let's just find out some more information and come to find out, you know, most foundation issues can be like tens of thousands of dollars to repair, but come to find out ours was maybe going to be ten to $15,000, which, you know, we got such a great deal on the purchase price. That was no big deal to us. So if you're having a hard time finding homes in your market, get creative and start looking at the homes that people are passing up. And, you know, so it only cost a few hundred dollars for us to have the foundation guy come out. And if it was too much work and it was way too expensive, we could have, you know, lost a few hundred dollars, but it would have been worth it to get the house, which we ended up getting. So 
do a little homework, be willing to spend a little bit of money to get more information because it can work out really, really well for you. Now think about this guys, you have to make sure you can do all these things no matter where you are. If you're in San Diego where this house is at, Austin, that's great. When we had to actually pay for the appraiser to come out to the house, we were on a boat back in Michigan. So we had to actually get off the boat to get back to a computer to transfer money to have the appraisal done. And then it turns out the guy who was supposed to do the appraisal didn't do it. He just disappeared. Like no one can get a hold of them. His and the funny thing is too, when you're working with an appraiser, I don't think either team can actually talk to the appraiser. It has to go through somebody else because they're trying to avoid avoid you bribing them or doing something to get the appraisal that you want. So we couldn't get a hold of him, and he wasn't making his appointment. So he was really dragging this process out for us, which. We needed that time. I mean, I think he drug he drug it out for at least five days. And by this point in time, the seller was getting a bit antsy and they were trying to get us to release our contingencies. So because we felt so confident and our agent felt so confident with the appraisal value of this house, we went ahead and released contingency before we could actually have the appraisal done. And then it turned out we couldn't do the 203k renovation loan. So that appraiser didn't matter anyway. So we had a refund come back for that appraisal. And then we had to get a different appraiser out there. And we had a very hard time, one, getting her booked, but two, getting her final report and final appraisal actually in hand from the property. So now here's where it gets really crazy. It's the specific appraiser. And clearly we've had really bad luck with appraisers. Nothing that our team could do, but you know, you just get assigned one and that's who you're stuck with. So this new appraiser finally comes out to the house and she's going through and she does see the cracks and the seller's agent was here because she has to be on the property while they're here doing it. And she gives this appraiser the old civil engineer report that talked about repairs that could be done in the house. And depending on how you read it, it could have been a really great report and said the foundation's totally fine, or you could read it a different way. So it's very kind of like convoluted and kind of just depended on the way you read it. And so this report threw off the appraiser and she essentially, she said, hey, the house is worth you know, over what you guys are paying for it, but I'm not going to sign off on it because of the foundation and some other minor repairs. So we're like, crap, now what? So our team's like, well, hey, let's just get another report on the foundation from another expert saying that it's fine. It's good enough condition where you don't need to make any repairs. And so at this point we were asking her, well, we know someone that's a civil engineer and all these different types of engineers. And she said, no, I will only accept a structural engineer report. So we're like, all right, no problem. So we had to pay to get a structural engineer out here. He came, he typed up something that said, you know, the house is sound, it's structurally sound, everything is fine, there's no repairs that have to be done. And then she asked, well, did he see the cracks inside? And we didn't have him come inside, so we figured we just needed to address the cracks on the outside. So we had him come back out, which we had to pay for and took time, and he addressed the cracks inside and resubmitted a report to her. But then she's like, well, there's no pictures. This other report I have has pictures. So we had to have him come back out and take pictures. And then she's like, well, his report isn't really long enough. And she was really just like dragging this thing out. And it's like, why can't you just tell us everything you needed us to do from the get-go so we could have just made sure we had it done? But anyways, okay, I had to jump on here because as I'm editing this, I remembered an important piece of the story that we didn't talk about. So if you remember... 
The original report that was given to her by the seller's agent was a civil engineer's report, which they know about structures, but that's not their expertise. A structural engineer is the person that is the expert in foundations. So she told us the only secondary report that she'd be willing to accept would have to be from a structural engineer. And we had him come out three different times. Every single time he said that the foundation was totally fine and she wasn't willing to accept that. And what's crazy is she is an appraiser. She is not a structural engineer. So for her to try to say that her opinion was overriding the professional that she told us we had to get was just absolutely mind-blowing. But the problem was we were really at her mercy at this point. So at this point, we're like, let's just pay to fix the crack and see what happens. All it was was stucco repairs. The stucco was the only thing that was actually cracked, but it visually looks like it could be the foundation. And just a little explainer on that. I guess what happens is our concrete slab is above ground and the house sits on top of that, like the frame of the house. And so they stuccoed over that on the outside of the house. So whenever there's any like little shifts, the concrete slab in the house move a little differently, and so it causes the stucco that's over that to crack. So we're like, let's just pay to get the stucco crack fixed. It'll probably be like $1,500, whatever. Um, so we ended up having someone come out like the next day. He fixed it for $350, and we're like, great, let's send her back out. So she goes out, and she's like, she was in such a bad mood, I heard. But she's like, great, you guys fixed that, but what about the cracks inside? So I ran to the house. I fixed the cracks with my friend Bethany. We did it in like two hours and we're like, hopefully she can come back today and come look at it. Well, turns out she's like, oh, I can't come back for another week. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're already at like, I think we were close to day 60 at this point. Mm -hmm. And so we had to wait for that. Well, at this point, the sellers are getting frustrated because it's taking a long time. And so they send us a perform or quit notice. And at this point, every day we went over escrow we had to pay I think a hundred or hundred fifty dollars and so I was actually getting nervous at this point because I'm like man we're so close and technically because I signed this document they could cancel on us at any point and we would lose the deal and so I wrote them this nice note like hey guys like this is our dream home please don't cancel we're so close to the finish line blah 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 and anyways ended up working out she finally signed off I think we ended up closing escrow on like day 76 or something which is a very long escrow it's normally about 30 days so that was a crazy ride and I'm sure there's a lot of details I'm forgetting the amount of stress that we had during this process was astronomical because every step of the way we're like okay finally we're going to get good news and then it was the next thing that we had to like hurdle we had to jump I mean you had to almost become detached to the outcome we wanted the house obviously but the biggest thing was that we knew that we would do all that we could, but sometimes it's out of your hands, which is a very, very hard pill to swallow. I mean, if you think back to Erica's story, this lady legit wanted someone to come and patch the cracks in the drywall inside of a 95-year-old house before she would give the appraisal up. And she called it in inhabitable. And we're like, someone literally just moved out of there. I mean, it, she didn't even want a professional. She said, anyone can do it. I just don't want to see the cracks. I mean, you guys, Erica's patch job is pretty good, but you can tell she patched it. Oh, it's horrible. Nothing changed in the structure, but she wanted that because that was her high horse, the thing that she wanted to, to make sure she, she held on to. So just realize this. 
People are the best part about anything you do, but people can also be the hardest part about anything that you do. Always lead with your best foot and make sure you make those strong connections and be nice to people, you guys. Always be nice to people. Yeah, I honestly, and I don't want to say this, but I do. I do feel like the seller's agent could come off like she had a really big attitude and I'm like, maybe she rubbed her the wrong way when she met her. Who knows? But I also forgot to mention that we had a very high earnest money deposit. At least I think it was $15,000. And so once we were already dealing with this uh, second appraiser, we would, if we lost the deal, we would lose that money. So we would have been out like 20 K if we lost this deal. So there was like a lot more riding on it than just like our emotional attachment. There was also a lot of money that we would have lost. And I mean, if we would have lost, it would have been a big learning experience, but I'm just glad that it worked out. Like the kids say, risky for the biscuit. Uh, Yeah. So I'm sure a lot of you guys have been waiting to hear the numbers. This is the part that I'm going to pass on to Raphael because he is the numbers guy. And yeah. Well, we bought the property for $850,000. We had the earnest money deposit, which is 15K. And then for the remaining fee for the rest of the down payment and the closing cost, it was $33,000 more. So remember, we went in with a 3.5% down um, payment. The renovation budget we have is between $150,000 to $160,000. Now, that sounds like a ton, but that is to not only renovate both houses, to patch up, fix, stabilize foundation, to do a full yard in the front, middle yard, hot tub, fire pit, seating at our kitchen, but also to convert that two-car garage into a third unit too. Uh, that's where a lot of the the increase in value is coming from. If we had to do this on a really tight budget, we would probably do a lot less in the two established houses and we would make sure we still converted the garage because you gain so much equity by adding that square footage. Yeah, but something that we knew that we wanted to do, and honestly, I feel like when we tell people what we're doing, they're like, dang, only 150000 but we wheel and deal. I interview so many people for every single thing that we need done, and so that we can make sure we're getting the best price, and I'm taking on the yard 100%, well, almost 100% by myself. If some of you guys are watching me on Instagram, you might have saw that I got that hot tub for $400, so there's a lot of ways you can do this really creatively, um, but... We definitely wanted to renovate the front and back house that's already existing because it's going to be an Airbnb. And so you want to make it really nice because you just get more money. Well, it has to be. It has to be. Here's one of the inside tips, you guys. And and Erica has a phenomenal course that teaches so many different ways to be profitable on on Airbnb and really across any short-term rental uh, platform. But houses that aren't nice or places that don't look nice don't do well. Whether it's it's a hodgepodge of old furniture and quilts and blankets and old throw pillows, or if it's just a house with a, with a very dated kitchen and bathroom, people don't want to stay there. And if they don't want to stay there, you won't be booked. And if you're not booked, I don't care what you set your base price for your listing to, you're going to have to decrease it so you can get people who want to book there. So if if you want to have a high earning property, which is uh, should be the goal of everyone who has an investment property... Make sure it looks nice and make sure you do all those little details that Erica so geniusly teaches in her course to figure out how to make sure you can capture the most income possible. Yeah. And 
what I'll say too is it's not like you put $1 in and you get your dollar back or even $2. The return on investment, especially when you're going to be using it for Airbnb when you're doing these kind of renovations, is so, so high because of the amount of cash flow that you can make every single month. And really between like a ugly, outdated Airbnb versus a newly remodeled one, it's night and day difference. It's not like it's just a little bit different. I would say when you're looking more at like long-term rentals, the difference in how much you could make if your property is dated versus renovated isn't that big of a difference. But when it comes to Airbnb income, the gap is just so, so big. But the last number I think is really, really exciting is the after renovation value numbers, babe. So take that away. All right, you guys, hold on to your seats. If my calculations are correct, which they may not be, but what we did was looked at the comps sold in normal heights within a close period of time and a close geographical footprint and broke down the price per square foot for their fully renovated properties that sold. It comes out to about 630 bucks a square foot. You multiply that by the amount of square feet we'll have on our three unit property. Our ARV is $1.45 million. Now here's the kicker. I'm pretty sure that's higher than it actually is. So let's take a 10% variance. You're still at around 1.3 actually, 1.2 1.3 million, which if we come anywhere near that ARV, holy cow, did we knock this one out of the park. We also asked Seth and he obviously through the whole process knew exactly what we wanted to do to the property. And so I believe he told us about 1.3 million would be around the ARV. Um, I think he said one, two to one, three, which I feel very confident in saying one, two and being very conservative with that number. Yeah, which would be excellent even so. Um, but we are, I know we're gonna make like very, very nice improvements. Okay, and the last thing I wanted to talk about was an Airbnb loophole for you San Diego residents because if you've heard the buzz, licenses are coming to San Diego. They say next July. We'll see. I am going to do a deep dive podcast episode on the next episode all about this topic. But something that's really interesting when I was reading through all of the documentation is that they're setting up a tier system. Now, most properties that are like a single family or there's no home sharing, you fall into the category uh, tier three. Now, what that means is anyone that's in tier three, it's going to go into a lottery system, a random lottery. So it's all luck. And after the lottery, they're only going to give out a certain amount of licenses, which equal 1% of the inventory in San Diego. And what that means with the current Airbnbs that there are, only one third will be able to operate once this goes into effect. So a lot of people are freaking out because they might lose their ability to Airbnb. And if you're just getting started and all the licenses are already taken, then you're not gonna be able to do it. But multifamily properties where the host lives on site fall into the category of tier two and those ones are not capped. So unlimited licenses if you are in tier two. So what's great is that this property would be a tier two property, which ensures that we will get a license. And the other great thing is that supply is obviously gonna go down when these licenses go into effect, but demand is gonna stay the same, which is always a great thing if you are one of the people that has the supply. So stay tuned for next week's episode. So I'm gonna talk all about the licenses because I know a lot of you guys have been asking questions and anything to wrap it up with babe how stoked are you for this house uh I am well we laugh all the time because I am definitely in this world of I need my life to be organized we are 
and this is a thousand percent worth it, you guys. I, I have no doubt there, but it's so much fun and also so hectic to get to live either in or by a renovation zone. So the blessing is that we can see all the work happening every day. We know we're getting closer and closer and closer, and we're actually moving really damn fast. Yeah. But the curse is that you see all the work happening every day, and you feel like you're so close to the finish line, but you're not quite there. And we're living in chaos. The other great thing about buying two homes on one property is you get to live in one, renovate the other, and then what we're doing is flip-flopping and moving into the front. But I also figure, why don't we actually talk a little bit about the property? Because unless you're following me on Instagram, which you should be, you might not know what it even looks like or anything about it. So it's a really nice size lot. Is it just under 7,000 square feet? So the lot is 6,400 square feet, zoned for up to four units. The front house is a uh, roughly 11,000 square foot, two bed, one bath, Spanish style that was very closed off. And now it's going to be beautiful and open and, and gorgeous. And the back house is a smaller 830 square foot craftsman that's two bed, one bath as well. And that's going to be a pretty cool little Airbnb too. And then the back garage is a two car garage that we're going to make into probably a one bedroom. Um, and then who knows, maybe in the future we'll actually build up and have a fourth unit one day, but not yet. Yeah, that'd be cool. And the other thing I really like about the yard here is that the front yard, we're going to since we're going to be living in the front house, we're going to completely wall it off and make like a nice private front yard that can be like our private area that's not shared with the Airbnbs. And then behind our house is the second house. And to the side of it is like the main backyard, which we're going to make a beautiful common area. And then behind that house is like a patio, like another third yard, if you will. And it's kind of nice because realistically, if there's three different you know, groups of people staying in each house, you really could be in three different areas of the yard and all be enjoying the yard. So it's kind of cool. And especially even for like long-term in the future, like everyone could have their own space, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, if you guys are not following my Instagram, make sure to do that because I'm sharing the entire renovation process on my stories where I always am. And it's been really, really fun and things have been moving along really, really well. And we're learning a lot, we're sharing a lot, and it's just been a really fun process. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you could take just 30 seconds and leave us a five-star review. And if you have friends who also want more out of life, make sure to share this podcast with them. And don't forget to follow along on social media to see what we are currently up to. I'm probably renovating a house as we speak on my stories and sharing that with you guys. And until next time, keep striving for more.